I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield, holding it down for us in the DraftKings Boston studio. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 50% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show for you guys, as always. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating and check us out live here Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on DraftKings YouTube, DraftKingsNetwork.com, and Samsung TV+. Plus. Jason Fitz from Yahoo Sports, yeah. our former ESPN mm-hmm. colleague, going to be joining us here in the 9 o'clock hour. Excited to talk to him and his high-pitched voice about a little bit of everything because, Dad, we got a little yeah. bit of everything happening all of the time as we are – Almost there. We wow. are sitting on a yeah. Notre Dame campus that we were walking around yesterday is absolutely juiced for this Ohio State game. We got plenty of NFL action coming off last night. It's all happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it is the uh, the the epicenter of the universe continues to be football, and this is one of the better weekends of it. Started last night. We'll get to that game, San Francisco and the Giants. But you're right. I mean, sitting here on campus, game day here again, Notre Dame and Ohio State matchup Saturday night, but there's six ranked ranks, as we've talked about, and then the unranked uh, – um, Clemson against a ranked Florida State. There's a, a ton going on. This is this is a football dream. This is one where how do you get out of your chores? Because a lot of times you would do 
what you had to do on Saturday. Because while you're going to sit and watch college football, it's a little more intermittent. It's sure. not like you have to sit. I sit down on Sunday and watch the Red Zone channel with Chris Hansen, where you're kind of Scott Hansen. I'm sorry. Watching it with Chris Hansen would mean your Sunday is going very differently. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I would agree with that. With Scott Hansen and, and knowing exactly what he is, uh, what he's bringing, and what you're sitting around for. College, you can do it a little more, like I said, intermittently. So you can get your chores done. Not this week. This week, it starts at noon with Florida State and Clemson. It goes all the way until 10, 11 o'clock at night. It's even longer uh, than NFL. So are you doing the chores today? Are you doing any kind of list you got today? How are you getting out of it? Are you just saying, I'm not doing anything Saturday and Sunday? I'll make up for it during the week. I mean, you got to have a plan. I think I saw a viral video of a guy who basically just handed a doctor's note to his significant other yeah. and said that you know he cannot be expected to complete any tasks this weekend or will not be available during football season. Right. I think he even it was the whole season. He did. One he did. Season. So yeah. I would recommend just brutal honesty there. Be like, listen, you saw what happened last weekend would be my pitch. They're not all going to be like this. Right. Sometimes we're going to get weekends full of slop, and I will double down on that. I will be the best Monday through Friday significant other humanly possible. And when it gets to the weekend, then I just need to lock it in for this one because it's special and different from all the others. And that we got to treat it that way. What do you do if you have a kid something, though? You got a four-year-old neighbor kid birthday party. That's what I I feel like. And the other parents (laughs) in the chat can correct me if I'm wrong here. We talked to Diana Rossini yesterday who said drinking is the way that you overcome a lot of kids' parties. Jesse, I feel like this is where you have to rely on how well you've helped pick your kids' friends' parents, because I've heard of a lot of parents who will show up all to the same youth sporting event, and you kind of know someone's got the cooler, someone's got the music, you got the things that are going to get you through it. I feel like you got to know in your friend group who the parents are that are also invested in this so they can have the TV queued up, they can have it on in the background and make sure everyone else is taken care of while the kids do their thing. That's absolutely what has to happen. You have to be in agreement about these things. Maybe you have a side group chat going that's different from the group chat for the event. Just making sure that we're all on the same page. When it really comes down to it being tough is when, for example, in my house, I can't drink right now because I'm pregnant, but I do have a small child, so I can't even drink to get through it. But then the other (laughs) thing that I have going Going for me is that my husband doesn't care about sports at all. Doesn't watch football. Doesn't he couldn't name um, a college football coach if you had a gun to his head. Wow. See, and that's why Jesse's point about the side group chat because I'm sure you're going to have parents in your friend group because the kid ultimately picks their friends. You don't really have control over all the parents brought into your life, but you kind of know which ones you actually vibe with. I'm sure you guys went through that plenty at some point. You didn't have group texting back then. You had to send a carrier pigeon, but with the group tent, you can get the down parents in and make sure that they're taken care of and they're ready to go in on the same. So here's the worst one. We're we're talking about a kid event that's usually at someone's house. You can go inside and watch their TV or something, do that. And and this is, to, to your point, a terroristic act. Who has a wedding during football season? What if you have a wedding to go to tonight, today, tonight? Or I mean, uh, on Saturday, tomorrow, uh, during the day, and then the reception at night. And the place that is having the reception doesn't have a TV. I mean, then you're really, you you have some work cut out. That's when you see people with their phones, like, propped up against their water glass, like, just watching that instead of the speeches or something. 
See, and that's where I feel like that we have such a decided advantage over your generation because before you guys would have to like wheel in a television we and would. actually physically bring one in yep. there. Now we all got little TVs right here in our pocket. So you're just going to see a bunch of guests at the reception that are a little bit less interested in here. And I've seen it go plenty of ways. I've seen like couples get married who know, hey, we know we were getting married on a Saturday in the fall. It's the only time we can make this venue work and get together with grandma or whatever else. And so they brought televisions into the reception. Right, they right. leaned all the way in they on knew. that. Yeah, so, yeah. I think we've evolved that idea of the fall wedding into something maybe a little more manageable. But for everyone, if you've got challenges coming up this weekend, it's on you. Because if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Right. And then you only have the person in the mirror to blame on that one. So get ready. Start to do your homework now. We had good practice last night, Thursday night, leading into a big weekend. You might have stuff going on. And if you did, you would have missed what actually was a more compelling football game for a lot longer than you or I expected. The San Francisco 49ers win 30 to 12, Dad, and pull away at the end. They end up covering. But for the majority of this game, it was a one-score game. And something just felt kind of off for a 49ers yes. offense that was down Brandon Ayuk, but we right. didn't think would suffer that much because of it. No, couldn't get a lot of the running game going. Brock Purdy was off in his throws. I mean, he got actually saved from his teammates by a couple of interceptions by knocking the ball down. And, and he, he he got his feet under him in the second half. But to your point, it's a 17 to six game at halftime. It, it uh, San Francisco gets a touchdown, but then the Giants get a field goal before half. And okay, it's kind of close. You're thinking, all right, where's it going to start in the second half? And it's with the Giants getting a touchdown. Now it's 17 to 12. So this definitely is a close game. And and they even held San Francisco after that to two field goals. They didn't let him score touchdowns to pull it too far away. So it's 20 to 12. You're still within one score. Then it's 23 to 12. It's starting to kind of go on you. And then Pur Purdy throws that beautiful pass, I believe it was to, uh, to Debo Samuel for the final touchdown, the nail in the coffin. And in all honesty, as it started getting to that point, the Giants just don't have an answer. Sure. They, they just don't have an answer. The Giants had 150 total yards in this game. The Giants ran 46 plays to San Francisco's 78 plays. Yeah. The, the 49ers basically doubled them up in time of possession and had over 400 yards of total offense. So stats shows it was a blowout, and the final score, showed it was a 10-point spread in the books. They win by 18, so they, they covered that easily. But as we've just been talking about, in the third quarter, this was a, a one-score game. Yeah, it, it was. And I want to give the 49ers credit. You still found a way, right? Even on a night that was, it, by absolutely, anyone with eyes that watched that game saw that was not the best Brock Purdy game. It was not. And yet, Brock Purdy got blitzed on 74% of his dropbacks in this game. And in that game, had 236 yards against the blitz. They were the most by a passer since Aaron Rodgers last year. And so... That's the power of the 49ers machine, and it's why Kyle Shanahan company after refused to apologize for being 3-0. You know, real happy to be three and zero right now. It's you know, there's not. It's really cool to do it after a Thursday night game. There's not many times in the NFL where you get to enjoy a win more than just that night. So um, it's always cool when you win on Thursdays. You know, I told the guys if they want to win and have a weekend off, you know, we got to earn it, and um, those guys did. And now you can sit back and relax a little bit, kind of enjoy um, how these last three weeks have gone, and be ready to go on Monday. Three and zero right now. Uh, it feels good. Uh, we we harped on. You know, starting off fast, and that's what we're doing. Even though we are, we're making a little bit more mistakes, but um, as long as we get the win, we can uh, continue to grow and continue to build on not making as many mistakes. For us, you know, we we know what we can do. We expect to win every game, um, 
And the fact that we're 3-0 is awesome. We know it's a long season and there's still so much football left. And so I love the mentality of our team right now because I think uh, we're 3-0, and we're happy, but we're still hungry and there's still a lot that we can get better at. And I, that's a good place to be. By the way, when, when Kyle Shanahan was talking, that's when I was listening because that's what players listen for. The goal is you win, you get the weekend off, yeah. right? Because later in the season, there would be times where you win on Sunday, it's like, See you Wednesday. Yeah. No film or lifting on Monday. Your day off is Tuesday. And then you show doggy bone. Yeah, exactly. You you get to show up on Wednesday. I mean, that's you live for that without a doubt. So now they have all these days off. Uh, As you said, it wasn't the prettiest in the world, but this also is in college. You're not you know, there's not an an AP poll. And at the end of the day, there's not a 13 person committee uh, deciding who makes the playoffs. You get the winning, you take it like last week. When Mike Tomlin said, I'm not going to ever apologize for a win, you take that win. And it wasn't the prettiest in the world, but they pulled away. They're a far better team than the Giants. The Giants are a struggling team, and they were down four starters, three on offense to boot. So for them even having to get a one-score game in the third quarter was a little surprising to me. I don't know if I ever felt like San Francisco was going to be threatened in this one, or if they were, they were going to be able to come back in this one. But – it wasn't a bad showing. And to put a number to your percentage of blitzes, 33 of the 39 dropbacks. Yeah. Purdy was blitzed. That's Wink Martindale, too. I mean, he is he is a pressure burst pipes guy. He wants to send and, pressure after you. And if you're looking for positives on both sides, because I actually think this game, because we knew the 49ers are just in a different weight class in the NFL right, than the right. Giants are right now. The Giants are a different stage in their team building. And so I think each of these teams, you're grading on a different curve going into this game. For the 49ers, without Brandon Ayuk, who since the start of last season is – Uh, eighth in the NFL in catches and ninth in the NFL in yards against man coverage. Nobody in the 49ers consistently beats man, which you see a lot when you're getting blitz as well as Brandon. Ayuk does their downfield passing game suffered without him on the field. Now it only suffered so much, but it suffered some in that game penalties, other things you were able to overcome that and still get this kind of win for the giants. Defense showed up a little more than it had the first couple of weeks. I was surprised watching them get pushed around by the Arizona Cardinals in week two. And so coming back this week, you saw Leonard Williams get behind the line of scrimmage a little bit more. All of those blitzes knocking Brock Party a little bit more off his thing. The problem was ultimately, I thought penalties in critical moments. You gave up multiple third and 10 pluses yes, in this yep. game. But you also, I, some of those penalties were a little ticky-tack. They were. Defensive holding. Yep. Leonard Williams gets called for the roughing the passer that oh. leads to a, a touchdown on that drive when he lands on those the quarterback. Which, killers. you know, and, and that one I feel for him, but that one we know by now. That's yep. a thing that unfortunately, as much as you might disagree with it, one does. I know, It's a rule and it, you got to follow it's, it. It's a rule yep. that's been called enough to this point. So I think for the Giants, you're at least heartened to see, hey, you're Defense was getting closer to home, getting closer to being disruptive. They just have to stop shooting themselves in the foot. Now. I'm telling you that a disheartening thing as a defensive player is, and the Giants did this to the 49ers, you mentioned early on, got them in third and long. Yeah. And they made the plays. They, yes. they hit the plays downfield. Remember, this is a team, obviously this year, but last year as well, is the best at yards after the catch. So they're, they're getting the ball. They're getting yards at Debo Samuel. Yeah. Debo I mean, and Kittle. Well, I mean. Watching them with the ball in their hands after they've Debo gotten reminds me. Ball. Debo reminds me of Anquan Bolden, yeah. wide receiver from yeah. the Cardinals. It was like a running back after he caught the ball. And that's what Debo Samuel is as well. And so so the Giants were doing what you need to do. Get a team in third and long. And the 49ers were just converting uh, on it. And how about, I mean, Christian McCaffrey was traded to the 49ers last year, correct? Yep. So he hadn't been there all that long. 
right? Yeah, yeah. 12 yeah. straight games with a touchdown. The man has been with the 49ers for a day and a half, and he's tied Jerry Rice's record for 12 straight games with a touchdown. That is ridiculous. I, I do think that, you know, as we have the best running back in the NFL conversations, <laughs> his name probably needs to get brought yeah, up a little bit more it does. than it does. I know he's in an offense that is juggernaut and has so much help for him. But if we're not going to do that for quarterbacks, I definitely don't want to do it for a running <laughs> right. back that does as much as CMC does for that team. So, Dad, putting a bow on this one, I think we see – there were encouraging signs for the Giants against an opponent that at this stage I don't think they were ever going to beat, especially with all those injuries. The more important game for them coming up now is Seattle next right, week. That's right. going to be a big one trying to go, I believe, on the road and win a game early in the season. Thankfully, they split this road uh, road stretch. And for the 49ers, they're 3-0, and and they're going to continue to work right. on the top end. We need to just get to one more thing in this game. How did they not throw Trent Williams out for throwing an close fist punch? Well, I was stunned. And and when you heard, so right at the end of the game, it's the old kneel down, right? Yeah. And one of the D linemen gets a little over aggressive. And it was the end of the half. I'm sorry, it's the end of the half. And Trent Williams, I mean, they were shoving each other. Then he literally, they had a close up of him. At first, I think uh, Herbie was talking about it, said it was an open face, but it was a closed fist punch to the face. Yeah. And and I, after, right hook. I, I'm reading the, the the they're talking after the game about the people reviewing it and they're like there was no evidence of anything. I'm like no evidence. And, and listen, I, it wasn't a hard punch. It wasn't like a devastating punch. But it was a punch. But it was a punch. So <laughs> he was unbelievably fortunate he didn't get tossed out of that game, and and he's going to get fined. I mean, oh, you, yeah. you know the old after the well, after I the mean, fact thing. Listen, this is my so Walt Anderson got up in front of the pool reporters after the game, senior vice president of officiating for the NFL, and he said we ended up looking at the video available to us and didn't see anything that rose to fragrant, which is the standard we have to apply to disqualify a player. He went on to explain a fragrant is a punch. If officials look at it done with a close fist and carry the close fist carries a different weight to it. If he's saying they didn't have enough there, how are they going to go and have any right to find him after? Like uh, they had time after the I would agree. to look at this again and then said, Hey, we didn't see enough to do this. If I'm Trent and I get that fine, I'm telling <laughs> oh, you, that's appeal, yeah. appeal that yeah. thing. Let's yeah. go. I, I agree because we see, we see so many because sometimes they're not called as penalties during the game, but afterward when the league gets to look at it, all of a sudden you get that letter and that fine and you're like, my God. But I, I, I was stunned. I thought for sure. And quite honestly, Trent Williams probably wouldn't have cared if he got tossed out of that game. I, I legit, he already is so good. He looked bored in most <laughs> really games. Does. I thought he was just tired of playing against this yeah. team and wanted to go get it. wanted to be done. Shower, yeah, exactly. Get changed and ready for the plane. By the time these guys are done, I know you're going to take care of business. So that was a surprising <laughs> twist to a night that ultimately felt inevitable dad the other big a bit of big nfl news oh. from yesterday and this was coming home yesterday after we had been out at notre dame's practice i didn't realize it's gone on i'd done a hit on a dallas radio station and actually got to do the hit with our buddy zach martin right right and i get off the phone and i'm feeling all good about the cowboy stuff and then i turn and i see on tv the news that unfortunately cowboy star defensive back trevon diggs tore his ACL in practice in a non-contact situation and is now going to be out for the year, Dad. So how devastating is this? We know so many of the strengths and names on this defense, but Diggs, newly highly paid and really productive on the back end, now no longer going to be a part. So they've got a lot of great parts on that defense. Can they still be one of the top defenses and not the top defense? Yes. Can it still help them lead them to where they want to go? Yes. But you lose a piece like this, and they remember they brought in Stephon Gilmore, so yeah. they had to both sides covered well. Now Diggs over the over the years 
has an incredible amount of interceptions, but also gets thrown at a lot. He's kind of like that, that it's almost like that the baseball player who hits a home runner strikes out, sure. right? He gets thrown at a lot. Sometimes you get a lot of yards against him, but other times he not only picks it, it's a pick six going the other way. So he has been an integral part to that defense. And any more in practices, it's hard to believe, well, I guess any step can happen because the new rules state you can only have padded practices yeah. 14 times during entire season, which is 18 weeks now. So you're going multiple weeks with, and, and there are some coaches that that stop putting pads on after a few weeks of the season. You don't yeah. even do it anymore. So, but again, an ACL can be a bad, a wrong step. You know, it's like uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. They were doing basically a walkthrough. You right. know, when he hyperextended his knee before the Thursday night game and missed it. So I guess it can happen at any time. But you you rarely hear nowadays of those these practice injuries that severe and I mean, to knock them out. And for the Cowboys, you had two yesterday. Tyler Beattis, your starting Beattis, center, right? was going to get an MRI on yep. a hamstring that he pulled during that same practice. It's the one thing, as we said, you can predict, you can prognosticate all the time, but that's the one thing you can never you know, predict is who's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt. It's a matter of how bad they get hurt. And now you've lost digs for the season. I mean, he's a, a big playmaker a huge playmaker, but they do have a number of them on that defense to still be able to get where they want to go. But, man, that, that that's a big, big loss. I, I do agree. Ultimately, the Cowboys' defense is great on every level, but yeah, they're they defined are. by their front seven, without like Parsons and yep. that pass rushing group. And you know pass rush and pass defense in the back end, inextricably yep. linked. One yeah. will help the other. But to your point about Stephon Diggs, or excuse me, Trevon Diggs, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, Diggs has allowed just three catches for 31 yards on eight targets as the nearest defender in coverage this season. Quarterbacks have a 9.9 passer rating on throws with Diggs as the nearest defender. And to point about playmaking, he has forced a fumble, intercepted a pass, and recorded three pass breakups while being credited with six tackles in two games this year. So that while hurts. we believe they can recover, yeah. that is absolutely yeah, that a hurts. bit of big-time top-end production loss for the Dallas Cowboys. We will have plenty more to look at in the upcoming NFL weekend as we roll along here. But coming up next, let's take a look at one of the best college football slates in recent memory coming up this Saturday next on Gojo and Gold. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know is it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It is time to turn our attention to the college game with our Modelo College Football Weekend Preview brought to you by Modelo, the mark of a fighter. So we have a ton of great matchups this weekend. We have talked about how this is one of the most epic college football weekends we can all recall. We have Dan Lanning's 10th-ranked Oregon Ducks hosting Deion Sanders and his 19th-ranked Colorado squad. Now let's go back, okay? Let's take us back here. During media day in August, Lanning was asked about his reaction 
to Colorado leaving the Pac-12, and he had an interesting take. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. You remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. I'm just given the way that Dion's used a lot of bulletin board material, do you regret at all what you said at Oregon Media Day back in August? Uh, no, I don't regret anything that I've uh, said, you know, for this program. At the end of the day, obviously, I wasn't talking about uh, Dion's team. I'm talking about the past and uh, the future for our team. But um, if that service is material for them, great, right? I don't think it's going to have any bearing on the game and the success of the game. So obviously that second um, clip was from Monday when he was asked about his comments in August. And yeah, I mean, he, you could see he was kind of smirking there. He was like, yeah, no, I don't regret saying that at all. <laughs> I mean, he understands and dead. It's been it's been interesting because that was the first thing I thought of this week. What Jesse just brought up with those two sound bites and expecting to hear on the other side, Deion Sanders saying now they went ahead and made it personal. personal. And it's been amazing. We have not heard a lot of that this week. Now, so much of Dion's energy was bought up early in the week, addressing all of the death threats going to a Colorado right. State player right. and the loss of Travis Hunter for the season. But it hasn't quite been that same week of bulletin material, board well, material. And you'd have to imagine it's because there's a realization that now this is a step up in weight class. Yeah. This is no longer a portion of the schedule where you feel like you're the superior team walking out onto the field. Oregon's a different breed right now. Uh, without question. And, and a couple things. Dan Lanning, what he said was right. It was about the past of Colorado, not about this team. What he was talking about, in all honesty, he was right. I mean, Colorado had been the, you know, the bottom tier here. So it was like, they're going, okay, forgot they were here right. <laughs> type of a deal. Right. And he was right. Uh, but on the other side, you use anything you can for a chip on your shoulder. But I'll say this, because Dion has done that. How long does that really last till kickoff when you do that? Because listen, yeah. he made it about as personal as can be against a team he was 21 point favorites against at Colorado State, and he needed two overtimes to beat him. Yeah. So to, to sit there and say that that bulletin board material, the chip on the shoulder, works for you, it hypes you up. But once the ball is kicked off, I don't really think it, it has a whole lot of impact on the game. And I do agree with you, maybe a little less talk of, what we are and what we're doing when all of a sudden you're facing a team, you know, that's averaging 579 yards a game and 58 points a game. I mean, this this is going to be a high scoring affair. Uh, Colorado's defense is not that great. And, and Oregon's offense is fantastic. So I'll be interested to see, obviously, what the Oregon defense does to Colorado's offense here. As we as we mentioned, Colorado's a 21-point dog. Yeah, I, I think, Dad, your point about that kind of motivation, it works as long as your players are buying into it. And if it focuses them more in practice during the week or helps the preparation, it gives you a little bit right. more juice at kickoff. You know, sometimes in some of these games, you might worry about that. But I don't think at Colorado's point in their life cycle, they're the team that can roll into kickoff just expecting to win and not right. having any juice. So that's going to be there. I think in this game, they had a bunch of stuff to clean up from the Colorado State game. And now to your point going into this one, it feels like an uphill battle because the weaknesses of Colorado's team have always been there, right? Up front, they've been injured. Van Wells, their center, was out last week. Looks right. like he's questionable for this week. That's a true freshman taking his spot. Shadur Sanders has been hit on 55 dropbacks. Yeah. That is overwhelmingly the most in D1 football this year. That is not sustainable. And we've seen with some of the injuries on this team, Travis Hunter, we know going to be out for a number of right. weeks and affects the offense and the defense. 
But the rest of this is now going to test the depth in certain places that we said Colorado at the beginning of the season, probably at this point with that amount of turnover, just wasn't built to overcome. And so between the sacks, between the pressures on this one, Dad, Colorado's got its work cut out for us and figuring out, all right, for Sean Lewis and company on offense, how can we scheme around a defensive front on other side that's got guys like Greg Dorless and Jordan Birch and these dudes that can physically overpower most of the Colorado front? Well, I mean, it, it's going to be for as much as he's getting hit you know, the thought process is get the ball out of his hands quicker and let your guys do damage after they catch the ball and yards after the catch. But you don't have Travis Hunter, a guy that definitely could be one that would be able to do that because we know Shadour likes to throw it over the top, but to throw it over the top again, you need time. And one of the reasons he's getting hit, he's completing some of those and obviously missing on some of those, but he's getting hit either way. And that stuff adds up. So I think this is going to be a tough road for them. Uh, again, were one of the things we had talked about with them and all the transfer they had and when it was going to start to come up was going to be depth, right? Yeah. So you lose, lose a two-way player in Travis Hunter and you lose a center. Now you have a true freshman there. I, I see Oregon winning this one and I'm going to give the points. Okay. I, was, I can't pick this game. I'm calling right, this you're game calling for this Learfield game. audio. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it. I just think it's, this is going to be too tall a task for Colorado. Gotcha. Brandon Dorless, by the way, the defensive lineman there. That's a fine for me. Dad, let's get to the second game of this weekend here. And one that feels pretty seismic now as we built it up around <laughs> it. Number 15, Ole Miss at number 13, Alabama. Uh, at this point, Alabama <laughs> favored by seven in this game. And Jalen Milrow back as the starter for Alabama after the quarterback experiment against South Florida last week. This is an Alabama team. We talk about sacks too. 130th in sacks allowed per drop back, 118th in pressure rate so far this season. Some of that is new mobile quarterback who's certainly going to put you in harm's way. Right. Parts of that are, hey, you had the backup show last week where new guys are in there. You're trying right. to figure out who's in the pocket and where they're going to be for you. But the bottom line is this Alabama O-line has now for the second straight year been below the standard. Do they rebound this week? Uh, boy, this is going to be tough. And, and familiarity in this one as well, right? Lane Kiffin was with Bama between 14 and 16, and Ole Miss beat Bama then, but then Bama ran the table and won the title. Uh, now Ole Miss has Pete Golding, who was Bama's D coordinator for the last few years. He came out of Ole Miss in January, so he knows, you know, obviously what's going on in Alabama. Seven, I, I can't give seven – um, I, I think Alabama wins this game, but I think it's going to be closer than the seven. So I think I'll, I'll take Bama and I'll, I'll take the points. Yeah. Touchdown is too rich for yeah. me, but I agree. I think this is a do or die moment for Alabama and Nick Saban. And maybe it's just the you know, remnants of Nick Saban's boot up my, you know, what from 2012, yeah. but I'm going to give him <laughs> the benefit of the doubt in this spot and say, they're going to lean more into that ground game and tight end based identity. The thing that Tommy Reese, by the way, is his specialty coming over from Notre Dame and Alabama finds a way to get this done, especially that defense. I don't think Ole Miss has seen a defense right. that's going to come out with as much fire as power as this Crimson Tide defense. Uh, that one, again, going to do a lot, I think, to calm some of the flames that seem to be rising up around the Saban kingdom. Dad, let's get to the, Dad, let's get to the last game on our slate here. Number six, Ohio State at number nine, Notre Dame. Ohio State, a three-point favorite in this game right now. The third best defense in the nation in terms of yards per game allowed. They've looked great so far, including last week, against a really potent Western Kentucky offense. How are we feeling about this? Well, I mean, I just love the matchups. You know, you got Marvin Harrison Jr., the best receiver in the game. Emeka Buka, another receiver yeah. that's going to could be going to be a first rounder. You know, against Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart, two excellent corners for Notre Dame. You have two really good edge rushers for Ohio State against our really two good offensive tackles in Fisher and Alt. So, some great pro matchups in college right now. 
One of the biggest differences, Ohio State is still breaking in a new quarterback, right? Kyle McCord. They don't have a, a Heisman hopeful or one of the top quarterbacks in the nation. He's still kind of feeling his way. Sam Hartman is hitting on all cylinders. Hasn't turned the ball over. The best number for him, for in my opinion, has been zero for the interceptions. The running game for Notre Dame sometimes starts out slow, but just leans on you, leans on you. The closer this game is, the more I like the Notre Dame running attack taking over late in the game, especially with uh, uh, Estime and what he can do. He's a monster uh, at about 230 pounds. So I like the way Notre Dame's playing right now. The, the defense, they got to be able to stop that Ohio State run. They got beat up the middle a decent amount against Central Michigan last week. But overall, I think Notre Dame steps up in the bright lights here in South Bend. They're three-point dogs, but I'm, I'm going with Notre Dame for the win. Yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, I've said it this week walking around. This is an if-not-now-then-when yeah. game. Yeah. You're getting Mitchell Evans, your tight end back, right. J.D. Bertrand, your captain and linebacker back. You're as healthy as you could hope to be going into the game, and the season schedule has built up to this moment in time here. And so I'm with you. I, I think Notre Dame wins this game. I think – Having a player who has been there and done that in the way Sam and Hartman does can finally be that necessary force to help get that big game monkey off of Notre Dame's back and try and move on with this thing. And I feel dirty just saying it out loud here. <laughs> I am always so, so very afraid. Coming up next, I will move far, far away from that and get back to the NFL next. All right, guys, we're in the heat of the summer and you need a pair of great shades that you don't have to baby. Knockaround Sunglasses is the go-to for quality, polarized shades that won't break the bank. Plus, they just released the first set of teams of their official MLB collection, including Red Sox and Yankees. Don't be the person that's squinting into the sun or worried about getting sand on their overpriced sunglasses. Check out knockaround.com for great looking polarized shades starting at just 28 bucks and use code GOLIC for free shipping on your order. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Uh, we all gave a collective groan when we saw the hit on Nick Chubb. You could immediately tell something was very wrong. Um, it spawned a fair bit of chatter that it was a dirty hit, something Minka Fitzpatrick vehemently denies. He was asked about it on Thursday, and he said, no chance that I would ever try to purposely injure somebody. Unfortunate event. I talked to him briefly as he was on the ground just to let him know that it wasn't intentional. I was just trying to tackle him and make a football play. Okay, and Brown safety Grant Delpit agrees. He came out in defense of Fitzpatrick. 
and the hit as well. Yeah, you know, um, it's football, man. You know, I can't say what I would have did in that moment. Uh, I'm sure he didn't. He didn't mean any harm to do any harm to Nick or any, you know, anything like that. It was just a, you know, crazy football play, to be honest. Um, so, you know, plays can go a thousand ways every, every play. You know, you never know. But, um, you know, it's just tough playing the sport sometimes. So, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head when he said, it's tough playing this sport sometimes. I mean, you're running at full speed. You're trying to figure out what to do in the moment. Obviously, I've never played football. But I can imagine <laughs> that when you're just trying to make a tackle or something, you know, can't hit high, can't hit low. It's like... You're just running full speed, trying to make the hit. Well, I think what comes into play as well, especially for a player that's been in the league a while, is what's their reputation? Minka Fitzpatrick has never really been known as a dirty player sure. or a line stepper. Very tough player, very hard hitter. Uh, but we know there are now rules in this league. And I have said, and I think you agree, Mike, the toughest job in the NFL now is to play DB. Yeah. You know, how yeah. you how you're allowed to defend and on a pass and how you're allowed to hit uh, said receiver or running back. You know, this was one of those where he went low. Chubb was getting tackled, but Chubb's a big guy and he was getting close to the to the end zone. It's a split second of I need to take his legs out so he can't get momentum going into the end zone. And that's what I'm going to do. Also, Minka Fitzpatrick in full bore is not going to take on Nick Chubb high. No. I mean, you're just not going to do that. So I go a lot on that as well of how what what a player's reputation is because certainly in my day I knew players and and was teammates with players as well that had reputation so if something kind of squirrely happened you would lean to the side of maybe it was on the wrong side because of their reputation. Micah Fitzpatrick doesn't have that. That was that was just a hard football play and a very very unfortunate injury. I think in a scrum like that down by the goal line too, like usually you know like dirty plays are obvious because everyone understands where the line is most parts even in this violent gladiator sport. And in those phrase, I, it almost reminds me how surprised I am things like this don't happen more often. Yep. When you see a tight end going down the seam and a safety comes and saws him off low, because again, guy that's bigger than you, you got to take him down low. There's such an emphasis on not hitting in the head that guys have been kind of forced into going low. And you're surprised it doesn't happen more often there. The guys are so adept at falling the right way. We heard about Tua learning to fall the right way this offseason. Like, it's one of the first things you focus on, but it's amazing to watch athletes do it at a high level. So the fact that this does not happen more often is almost a godsend. I agree. And the play that kind of nerves me the most in seeing injuries on the field is that little swing pass to the out, especially to a tight end. So a DB is coming up on right. a tight end, and because there's such a size difference, the, the tight end catches the ball, turns a run, and the DB takes him out low because he's not going to hit him high because of the size difference. And if you catch him wrong, like in this case, right when the foot plants, right when you hit low, unfortunately, you get a, you get a bad injury. And I'm with you. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more because you talk to receivers. They actually say, I'd because so much emphasis on the headshots, receivers say, I would rather get hit high yeah. than low. Hit me chest and up, even if it includes the head at times, rather than hit me low. Because the player's mentality has been now that could be changing with what we've seen over the years with head injuries. But the thought had always been, you know, if I get a concussion, I can come back from that pretty way quicker than having my ACL blown out where I know I'm done for the year. Again, I think that mentality is starting to change the more we're finding out. 
But that had been kind of the, the thought of receivers. Hit me up high. Don't take my knees out. Yeah, I think that's a young man's thought. Yeah. I, I think as we see guys get further along and further away <laughs> from playing, that thought kind of changes. Yeah, I agree. For a lot I of guys. Agree. But that is the prevailing thought. Yep. That's what we hear from a lot of guys. And so, you know, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick <laughs> said himself, I'm chippy. I'm edgy, of course, but I'm not a dirty player. So yep. echoing that point, I, I think most people are going to come <laughs> off that pretty quick. It's just it's what you do when you're frustrated with what went on with Nick Chubb. And we see. Uh, honestly, mercifully, don't see as much oh. of the hit and don't spend as much time legislating that as possible. So, Dad, from there we go and take a look, Jesse, at one of the biggest matchups upcoming this weekend that we have heard surprisingly a lot about from the Jets side here. Garrett Wilson and company understanding what's on the line as they get set to face the New England Patriots. So the Jets have lost their last 14 games against the Patriots, and it is a streak that Garrett Wilson is saying he's not a fan of, and this needs to end here in week three. You know, 14 straight is unacceptable. You know, that's, and um, that's, you know, that's unacceptable. We're, um, you know, I'm, I'm 0-2 against them. That's unacceptable. You know, I inherited, uh, you know, I walked into a, to a, um, a team that, you know, we haven't, we haven't beat the Patriots. And, and, and I feel like that's why they brought me here and, and brought me and sauce here and, and the guys here to make things like that change. So it's, it's time that we, you know, do what we get paid for. So guys, the Jets last win against the Patriots came in 2015 with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. Yeah, uh, 2015, Fitzpatrick threw a six-yard touchdown pass to Eric Decker for a 26-20 overtime win for then-coach Todd Bowles' squad. Wow. Robert Robert Sala, now the coach of the Jets, was an assistant in Jacksonville. And Zach Wilson, the quarterback for the Jets, was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> so it had been, it has been a while. And this is one of those you can't call it a rivalry, and one team's a hammer and the other team's a nail. That's that's what this one is right now. Without question. <laughs> and it, it, it has been traditionally, but it feels like we're kind of limping into this because before, like, it had been the Patriots at the height of their powers. Yes, exactly. What we right. associate with Tom Brady. Like, so many of the Patriots' records are associated with a dynasty that doesn't live here anymore. We've got two great defenses going right. up against each other in this game and offenses that have had similar problems, right? Quarterbacks that they're waiting to still see some out of young quarterbacks and Mac Jones um, and uh, on the other side now. But both also offensive lines that have struggled mightily through the beginning portion of the season. Injuries had a lot to do with it on both sides. The Patriots last week incredibly beat up along the offensive line heading into that game against the Dolphins. And now for either side, it feels like that's what's going to decide the game here as both of these offenses try and find their footing against defenses that are going to test you in very different ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure both teams would like to get their running game going a little bit to help their quarterbacks, which you have two quarterbacks, one in Mac Jones, who's trying to continue his quest to be the quarterback of the Patriots. It's a big year for that. And you have another quarterback in Zach Wilson, who at such a young age and little time in the NFL is trying to, let's be honest, revive his career, right? Yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be the face of the Jets, got put to the side for a Hall of Famer coming in, and now gets a chance again to show what he can do. So these are two quarterbacks in, in different situations, but both kind of playing to see where their futures are going to go for two teams, one certainly with the Patriots limping in and the Jets now with Aaron out limping in as well. So this is my kind of game for sure. The the defenses by far are the better parts of this game. Yeah, it's your <laughs> kind of game until it starts to look like some of the football we got last weekend, the offensive dreck that just 
nobody enjoys. Like that's the Rams Patriots. You didn't I enjoy, enjoy the Rams Patriots. I enjoy. I, I enjoy yeah, anything. Anything that where you, defense is you dominating. Did, you did not have fun watching the Rams Patriots. Why, why are you telling me how I feel? We don't have to lie about why, that. Why, I don't know why are you telling a, me how I feel? I did a show with you the Listen, day after that, and you said you didn't. enjoy I it. said it just to make you happy because sometimes after the show, I have to hold you because you cry because you don't like my opinion. So I was trying to be nice. Yeah, it's exactly right, Jesse. I'm, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a father. He's still my son. Right. Okay. And I have to think of his feelings. You cry because I don't like your you're opinions. A good dad. You cry because you're so wrong all the time. It's you realize tough. I've been doing this for a while, and maybe you well, should I, be looking up to me. I understand that, but I mean, you, you can do something. Practice doesn't make perfect; it makes habit, baby. You want to go play pickleball? Oh, Listen, do you want another? <laughs> do you want another broken racket? <laughs> <laughs> I can make that happen for you. Defensive game. The bottom line, this is going to be a defensive game, and I'm here for it. Uh, this is a defensive game the Patriots have to win because yeah. their offense much more whole. The Jets have suffered a massive setback. I think they're going to continue feeling the effects of that. Matt Jones is still supposed to be the guy, and the Patriots sitting here at 0 for at this point in the season. Isn't going to sit right with anyone around there. They've got to get this done and find a way on offense, and I think they will. Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to Gojo, Gojo and Golick. Cam Rising has not played since suffering an ACL injury in the Utes. 35-21 to loss to Penn State in the Rose Bowl. But apparently, he's going to suit up on Saturday against UCLA and make his season debut. Now, Utah jumped from 4.5 to a 6-point favorite yesterday in anticipation of Rising making the start. So, guys, another top 25 matchup here. We got number 22, UCLA, number 11, Utah. And 1.5 points worth of hype surrounding Cam Rising's return. Yeah, this is, <laughs> you know what, Utah reminds me, I was thinking about them before the show today, of that guy that plays basketball with you at the Y. Older guy, wearing the knee sleeve, has to spend a ton of time getting warmed up beforehand, but then goes out there and gives you buckets. That seems to be Utah, especially at this point in their life cycle, right? Older team with Cam Rising, uh, you know, it, the weapons they have on here, Brent Keithy also been banged up a lot this season as well. One of their great tight ends that was injured last year opposite Dalton Kincaid. And so all of that, this is a team that plays such a physical style of football that they've actually kind of ground themselves down in certain areas. But now, especially getting the quarterback back, we've watched them try and basically use two guys to make one between Bryson Barnes right. and Nate Johnson. But there's no substitute for one, the leadership, but two, the passing and running ability in one player that Cam Rising provides you that they were trying to make using the other two in tandem. Listen, this is a team that's really been, you know, getting where they are of losing a lot of guys early on. What yeah. the game one they had eight starters out. I mean, they've been they've been patchworking this thing together. Now playing a UCLA team that oh by the way beat them last year. Yes. And how about a few years ago when DTR, the young DTR uh, freshman started for UCLA, young DTR, young sounds DTR, like something that yeah. never existed because <laughs> he I, doesn't seem young anymore. He He's has been always been a seventh-year senior in my brain. Now we have a young Dante Moore for UCLA who has yeah. been nothing short of electric. Seven touchdown passes, but running the ball incredibly well. There, I think they're they're third, I believe, in the country in rushing, uh, at about seventy yards a game. game. Both these teams, I think, are eleven and twelve and stopping the run. So, the, the, and Utah's always been great at this. Utah's yeah. known for such a tough front seven and tough defense, but both these teams stop the run well. So, 
who passes better. Dante Moore has been passing well, but as a freshman, and now you get the, the grizzled veteran Cam Rising coming back in, who, as you mentioned, can add you know a dual threat to this team. Is he going to have to knock some rust off? How is it going to be right out of the gate? Remember, he blew his knee out in the Rose Bowl last year and now making that first start uh, since then. I, I love this game. I mean, this is this to, to knowing what these defenses do, especially against a run, which is going to make these quarterbacks have to show out passing the ball. And you have two distinct different passers, especially in age. Yeah, certainly in age. Dante Moore, incredibly talented. <clears throat> really is. It became very apparent yeah. early on in the season when they were still rotating guys that things were just different when you put him out there. That's the kind of recruit he was expected to be. That was why there was all the excitement around when he was originally committed to Oregon and then ends up flipping and going down to UCLA. But, Dad, I do think looking at both teams' early portions of the schedule, right? UCLA's played Coastal Carolina, San Diego State, and NC Central. Right, like, right. They have not been tested in the ways that Utah has at this point without their leader on the field. And while I'd expect there's going to be a certain amount of rust for Cam Rising coming back out here, coming back off a knee, you have no idea how much he's right. going to be able to give you mobile because that's one of the areas. He runs kind of like, um, kind of like Fred Flintstone, a little bit of that yabba dabba do run where, oh, he's getting somewhere and he's making it happen. It doesn't always look pretty. It looks like he's kind of skating upright, but it works. I don't know how much that he's going to be able to give you at this point. And that was such a vital part of his addition to the offense. So I still think Utah is going to win this game off the backs of that, off how physical they are up front. But give Chip Kelly a lot of credit. He's kind of retooled the UCLA, UCLA identity in the last few years to be more of a meat grinder on the ground on both sides, especially the defense taking a step forward this year would be huge because they wouldn't stop anybody last yeah, year. Yeah, listen, Utah's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I think I'm going with, with uh, UCLA for the win in this one. I, I, I kind of like what they're doing right now. I like this young quarterback. These these young quarterbacks coming into college because of what they maybe have done in, in high school or how much reps they get in these seven-on-seven -seven tournaments around the country and all that don't seem to be as rattled as young in college anymore yeah. and step in and are able to perform. And he has been a guy that has been doing that. So uh, I, I, I like UCLA in this one. We'll see if uh, Utah can do against a freshman quarterback what they have struggled to do so far this season. So it's the cliche that games come down to turnovers. But Utah, just one forced turnover in three games so far, while UCLA's defense is forced eight. Maybe UCLA's defense can find a little bit of what USC had last year, a group that overperformed largely because they led the country in forced turnovers. Right. So we will wait and see with that. That. But uh, Jesse, as we look outward uh, elsewhere this weekend, I, I think the game that I want to look at most, Dad, is Florida State Clemson. Yep. We've talked so much about the rank ranked games this weekend, but looking there, Clemson not ranked right now, and a lot of Clemson fans a little up in arms about the fact that oh they lose one game and now they fall out of the top twenty five, but Alabama, Alabama loses yeah. one game and then looks like you know what against South Florida, but mm -hmm. they still get to hang out in the teens. But that's a story for another day. It just means more. Dad, look, win this game then. <laughs> win this game. And in a game where, again, Clemson is not a huge dog at home to a Florida State team that is ranked fourth in the country right now. At this point, I think it was Florida State was favored by two and a half going into this game. That's a bit surprising and indicative that tales of Clemson's demise may have been grossly, grossly exaggerated. And also people probably a little freaked out by that BC game. Last uh, week. I, yeah, that BC game surprised us as we were watching it and seeing, you know, that being way closer than it should have been. All apologies to Jesse on that one, the BC grad, sorry, but we all thought that was going to be an absolute blowout Same. and it wasn't. 
But, but I, I don't know how you don't like Florida State in this with, with Jordan Travis and what he can do. Uh, though Clemson defense can be tough, I just like what he brings or what he does. And I think if they start to get up in this game, I don't know about Clemson's ability to be able to come back. I think that's that's one of the big worries for me. Yeah, Cade Klubnick, while a extremely talented, another high-profile recruit that Clemson was able to capture here, it still has not been able to turn it all the way on so far this season as you've had Garrett Riley coming over there at the helm of that offense. And for Florida State, listen, it's not like they've faced world beaters in the last couple right, of games right. after LSU. I think a lot of the public perception is still coasting off what they did against LSU. But knowing the kind of firepower on offense that gelled almost right away against an LSU defense that is also not a slouch. Like right. there's plenty of talented dudes out there, even if people wanted to beef about the role of one player. And so ultimately, Dad, I think this is a game that Florida State wins. And I think this is one for them. It's going to be pretty big, right? In the midst of a season where they were turning around a lot around a lot last year, Clemson still beat them last year. There's still this idea that if you want to go and accomplish the things that you believe you're capable of, Clemson has been the bell of the ball in the ACC for the college football playoff era. Them and Alabama have defined this era. And while I don't think Alabama is yet ready to go quietly into this good night, I have more concerns about Clemson going up against this particular Florida State team. That's their total antithesis, right? For Clemson on the offensive side, it's going to be a dose of Will Shipley. He's the best player on their offense. Right. For Florida State, they got it from every spot. They've got big playmakers. It's what they've been the best at in the last two, you know, one and a half years now. And so I think the Seminoles get this one done. I mean, there are two receivers, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, who we talked about in that first game uh, that they won against LSU. They're averaging 19 and 14 two per catch. I mean, just big play guys, whether it's a short catch, they're turning into longer catches or big plays down the field. They, uh, I just think they're going to have too much firepower for Clemson. It is. It's interesting, and you look around college football right now, for me as a child of the late 90s into the early 2000s, seeing teams like Texas, seeing teams like Florida State, seeing those helmets yeah. be back playing meaningful football in college is an exciting time. And for Florida State, once you got through the end of the Jimbo Fisher era right. and you wave goodbye to Jameis Winston company there and one of the best college offenses we've ever seen, there's been so much wonder, especially over the last four years since Mike Norvell has been here about – what this team can accomplish. Has college football passed them by? They were trying to get out from under and fire this coach. And lo and behold, because financially they were kind of forced to keep him around, it's actually worked out to where it's developed into something now that seems sustainable. But they've also built to this point, right? You got a quarterback that's been playing college football since the 80s. Right. And you're probably going to be able to recruit better to that down the pipeline here, but you got to maximize this while you got the opportunity with a veteran quarterback who is lethal with his legs that should absolutely also hurt. Clemson. So we still are. We saying Texas and Florida State are back every year. We try and do this with, with certain teams, right? They're back. Is the U back? I mean, I think, Texas back. I think they are back. I do too. I think they are back. I do too. I would agree. Coming up next, Jason Fitz also back He's with back. us here on Gojo and Bullock. <laughs> 